0: Well today we uh, continue our study of uh, the book of Hebrews and uh, this morning we enter chapter 12. Chapter 12. I hope uh, you picked up a a copy of the uh, sermon notes. Uh, We're going to focus on the first three verses of chapter 12 and um, I doubt we'll finish uh, this message uh, this morning but we'll see how far we can get and then we'll Pick it up next week, wherever we leave off uh, today. Uh, but let's, uh, let's, let's start by reading the three verses, and then we'll look immediately at the introduction that you find in your sermon notes. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. I've simply entitled the message today, Run with Endurance. That phrase there in verse 1 is the key phrase which this entire passage evolves around, Let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us. But look at the introduction there in your uh, sermon notes. And that first sentence. One of the metaphors used in the Bible uh, to describe the Christian life is a race. I want us to pause right there. And uh, you'll notice that I've given you uh, three references. All of these are references that use that metaphor of a race to describe the Christian life, and I want us just to briefly look at each of these three passages, because before we go any further, the one thing I want us to make sure we have a clear understanding of is what does it mean to run the race for Christ, and not only run the race, but win the race. We we want to make sure we have a good understanding of what winning the race actually means from a Christian perspective. So... Go with me first to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And please turn there in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now the very specific verses we'll look at are verses 24 and 27, but it is extremely important to see the context because it provides the understanding of what it means to run and win the race for Christ. In the context, Paul is talking about winning people to Christ. He's talking about his witness. He's talking about his testimony. He's talking about drawing other people to Jesus, about verbalizing his witness, presenting the gospel that others might come to know him. For example, in verses 19, 20, 21, and 22, look at the last phrase in each of those verses, just to drive this home. Verse 19, that last phrase, That I might win the more. He's talking about winning people to Jesus. Verse 20. I might win those who are under the law. He's talking about my desire to win those that are in Judaism to Christ. And then the end of verse 21. That I might win those who are without the law. He's talking about the Gentiles. And then... uh, Verse 22, that I, may, uh, that I may by all means save some. And then look at verse 23, and I do all things, what, for the sake of the gospel, the good news, to advance it, to share it, to bring other people to Christ, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. And then verse 24 comes with the analogy of this race. Do, not, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. And again, in the context, what is his aim? To bring people to Jesus Christ and to exercise self-control over his life that he would not do anything that cast a shadow of doubt on his testimony or bring reproach to the name of Christ, but to put himself in a place where he could draw others to the saving knowledge of Christ. He says, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and I make it my slave, lest possibly, after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. So all I want you to see right here is that in this context, to run the race and to win for Christ has everything to do with having an aim and a purpose to bring others to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And for every Christian, that should be one of our primary passions, true? Not only to know Him, but to make Him known to others. God saved you not only to bless you, but to enable you to be a blessing. He saved you to raise you up as a witness that Christ's life would be reproduced in you, that others might find nourishment, might find Christ. Look at the second uh, passage, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse 14. He says, I press on. He, this is the metaphor of a runner. That, that, that is struggling to get to the finish line and he's focused on that finish line and with every ounce of his being he is pressing forward toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He knows that the finish line is what? Jesus, his Lord and his Savior to welcome Him, to hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servants, and to receive that imperishable prize, that imperishable wreath and reward from Jesus. But again, in the context, what is this passage all about? It's about Paul's passion to become more and more like Jesus. For example, look at uh, verse 7, But whatever things were gained to me... Those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And in light of the value of knowing Christ, he says, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And then verse 10, listen to the cry of his heart, that I may know him. That's my goal. That's my aim. That's why I run and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformed to his death in order that I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. And he says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but again, this analogy of a race. But I press on. I continue to go forward in order that I may lay hold of that which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying, Jesus has apprehended me. And now I want to apprehend Jesus as he's apprehended me. I want to know him. I want to love him. I want to become like him. And then he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid over yet, yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. And in the verse, I press on toward that finish line by the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So here running the race and winning for Jesus is what? It's becoming like Jesus. It's, It's seeing God use the circumstances and adversities in life to shape me and form me into the likeness of Christ. And this of course relates well to 1 Corinthians 9 because before there can be a credible verbalization of the truth, before there can be a credible witness verbal witness there has to be a clear visualization of the gospel in and through my life people need to see Jesus in me working through me where they see the authenticity of my faith hope and love in Jesus which again provides credibility to my verbal witness as I aim to bring people to Christ and then look at 2nd Timothy chapter 4 2 Timothy chapter 4 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. This is Paul right at the very end of his life. Uh, he's in prison. He's about to be to, uh, beheaded, to be beheaded, uh, to lose his life uh, for Jesus. And he says in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have what? Finished the course. He's talking about that race course. I have kept the faith. So in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So what does it mean to run the race here and to win for Jesus? I think very simply, running to win is remaining faithful to Jesus in any and all circumstances in life. Regardless of the hindrances on the, on the race course, regardless of the obstacles, regardless of the difficulties, regardless of the cramps and the aches and the pain and the exhaustion, it's remaining faithful to Jesus to the very end. Again, maintaining faith in Christ all the way through to the finish line. Recognizing that the Christian race is not a sprint, it's a what? It's a marathon. It's a marathon. Now... Understanding now what it means to run the race and win for Jesus. It means becoming like Jesus in order that others might be drawn to Christ. It means remaining faithful to Jesus in any every circumstance. To maintain my faith in Christ all the way across the finish line. Now go to, back to the introduction and let's finish that. The very second sentence. The Hebrew believers, and we've seen this throughout our study, had grown weary running their race in a society hostile to Christianity and they were tempted to give up. We've talked about this numerous occasions. They were facing persecution under the Roman emperor Nero and they were frightened. they had grown weary. They'd grown tired. They were exhausted. They, They were ready to give up. So the writer encourages them, run with endurance the race set before you. And Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 gives four keys. Four keys on how to endure the rigors of the race until you cross the finish line, a winner for Jesus. So in those other passages, we understand what it means to run the race and win for Jesus. To become like Him, that others might be drawn to Him. To remain faithful to Jesus. Here in this passage, we discover how to run. We discover four keys that will enable us to face and confront the rigors of the race and endure all the way through to the finish line to be a victor for Christ. And so look at the first point. Look at the first point. If we're going to win, we need to receive encouragement. And we do receive encouragement from past winners. Look at uh, the very first phrase there in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that first word, therefore, takes us back to what? Chapter 11. That great hall of fame of faith. All of those individuals that are listed who ran their race, who maintained their faith, who crossed the finish line's victors for Jesus. So look at the key there in your notes. The testimony, it's just this simple. The testimony of all the witnesses in chapter 11 is cheering us on. That's the thought. I don't believe the thought is that they're in some sort of stadium necessarily watching us run. I, th- I think the emphasis is on their witness. When we look at their lives, when we look at their witness, we when they look at when we look at their testimonies, their testimonies they cheer us on by saying, "Don't give up. It can be done. If God could do it for me, a person with a flawed faith and a flawed life, He can do it for you. The same power and faith that got me through can get you across the finish line too." That's what every testimony in Hebrews 11 is is telling us and cheering us on as we run. And remember, folks, and again, we looked at this last week. Every one of those individuals in Hebrews 11 were flawed people, just like we are flawed people. Remember Abraham and Sarah, they struggled with what? Fear and unbelief. They had numerous ups and downs as God grew them in their faith. As they ran their race. Jacob struggled with being a manipulator. And a deceiver in life. Finding it difficult to relinquish control with God. uh, Wanting to try to maintain control himself. Moses struggled with anger. Rahab was a harlot. Gideon was a man that struggled with anxiety. Samuel, sexual enticements. Samuel became careless in domestic affairs and matters. And David, of course, was an adulterer and a murderer. Again, the testimonies of all the men and women of faith listed in Hebrews 11 is cheering us on. If God could forgive me, He can forgive you. If He could give me a new beginning, He can give you a new beginning. If He could, What He did for me, He can do for you. So we should find great encouragement. In those wonderful examples and testimonies from Hebrews 11. Because they were ordinary people just like you and I. Flawed individuals with flawed faith. But God was able to meet them in their weakness. And perfect his strength. And give them the grace to carry on and to complete their race a winner. And then look at the second key. If we're going to run the race and win the Jesus. Win for If we're going to become like him, to draw others to him and remain faithful in any and all circumstances to the very end. Uh, look at that second phrase in Hebrews 12.1. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And notice, we're to lay aside two things, right? Every encumbrance... And then second, the sin that so easily entangles us. Now, encumbrance, And encumbrance is just excess weight. You know, I ran, uh, literally, I ran competitive track from the time I was in fourth grade all the way through uh, college. And uh, although when you work out and you're preparing for the race, you might put on ankle weights or you may put on a weight vest, when it comes time for for the race itself, what? You strip yourself of all excess weight so that you can run the race freely. So, an encumbrance, we don't need to make this complicated. It's just anything that would slow me down in the race. And an encumbrance can be a good thing. It can be a good thing that distracts me from the race. It could be a good thing that takes away from my passion and ambition to run the race for Jesus. So he says, lay aside every encumbrance. Lay aside anything that's going to slow you up in the race. Lay aside anything that could possibly distract you from Jesus and winning for him. And then, of course, sin is what? Transgressing transgressing God's laws. But I do believe that in the larger context, sin has specific reference to unbelief. That he's saying, be very, very careful. Remember like the example of the children of Israel who were redeemed out of Egypt and God intended to take them into the promised land but what because of unbelief that first generation never entered their rest and they died with nothing but regret knowing God's chastening as their bodies were laid low in the wilderness so he's saying don't fall victim to unbelief be careful that as you run your race, as you encounter adversity and difficulty, that you don't so f- you fall so far into disappointment that you begin to question God's love, you begin to question God's justice, and it becomes a wedge between you and God as you become bitter and angry, and you turn from God and cease running the race as the Israelites did in the wilderness. But look at the key there, because I want to make this very practical and. What I have for you right here makes it very, very practical. When considering involvement, see, as you're running your race for Jesus, as you're running that race to win for Him, to become like Him, to draw others to Him, to remain faithful to Him, to cross that finish line, maintaining your faith in Jesus, when you consider involvement in an activity or relationship, the question to ask is not what's wrong with it, but will it help me win the race? That's the question to ask in anything and everything in life. See, most Christians live with the perspective, "Oh, well, what's wrong with it? You, know, you want to see how far you can push the envelope and still be okay and get into heaven. But the real question to ask is, will this help me win the race? And what, I'm, what I've given you there in your notes, and let's go over them now, Or five questions that literally will change and transform your life. If you will ask these questions, and if you will then be obedient to God, this will transform you. Here's the first question Can I become involved in this activity or relationship free from doubt? Fully assured I have God's approval. Can I become involved in this activity as I run my race? Can I become involved in this relationship as I run my race for Jesus, to win for Jesus, fully assure, free from doubt, fully assured I have God's approval? And of course the advice of the scripture is, when in doubt, don't, or risk disqualification from the race. Look at Romans 14. Look at Romans 14. The last two verses in the chapter. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. Go back to 1 Corinthians 9. We've already alluded to this. Go back to 1 Corinthians 9 where we looked at the at the race we already read the verses 24 through 27 the last verses in chapter 9 where he talks about uh, run in such a way that you may uh, win that you're not to run without aim you're to run with purpose again to become like Jesus to draw others to Christ to remain faithful to him you have to exercise self-control discipline and he says I do this notice the very instant that I should not be disqualified myself now, he's not talking about loss of salvation, but he's talking about being disqualified in terms of his witness, in terms of his testimony, in terms of usefulness to God. And then it's very unfortunate that there is a chapter break because he moves into chapter 10, and he gives an example of those who began to run the race but because they didn't keep their eyes on Jesus, because they did fall into encumberages in sin they never finished the race that God intended and of course it's the Israelites that we already alluded to notice chapter 10 verse 1 for I do not want you to be unaware brother that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea referring to the Red Sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was with, with Christ. Now folks, don't miss this, and you might want to circle in your Bibles. Notice how often Paul re- refer- uses the little word all. In verse 1, they were all under the cr- cloud. uh, all passed through the sea. Verse 2, they were all baptized. Verse 3, they all ate the same spiritual food. Verse 4, they all drank the same spiritual food, uh, the same uh, uh, spiritual rock which followed them, the rock which was Christ. But look at verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. They all began the race. They began well, but they didn't end well. Because most, with most of them God was not well pleased. Look at verse 6. Now these things happened as examples for us. That we should not crave evil things as they crave. And do not be idolaters as some of them were as it was written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. And idolatry is just, it's just simply valuing anything more than you would value Jesus. Loving anything more than you would love Jesus. And then he says, nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by servants. Nor grumble, as some of them did, as they ran their race, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. So you need to ask, can, can I become involved in this activity or relationship, Free from doubt. Fully assured that I have God's approval. Because we see with the Israelites, although they started well, because they got involved in not only questionable activities, but sinful, got entangled in sin, they were laid low in the wilderness. And they never crossed the finish line as God intended. They lived in a wilderness of regret and died in a wilderness of regret. And there would be nothing sadder than that for any any believer. Look at the second question. Will becoming involved in this activity or relationship be profitable to draw me closer to the finish line? Or will it be a roadblock impeding my progress? Look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. Again, the question is this. You need to ask yourself, will becoming involved in this activity or relationship be profitable Will, will this draw me closer to the finish line, or will it be a roadblock impeding my progress? Look at 1 Corinthians 10, the very first uh, half of verse 23. All things are lawful, but what? Not all things are profitable. In other words, Paul is saying there are a lot of things that are okay. They may not be sin, but they're not profitable. Matter of fact, that word profitable in the Greek text, it, 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 it paints a picture of a person on a journey who has a desired destination that he's getting to. And anything is profitable if it hastens the journey, if it aids the the person on that journey to arrive at the destination. So you need to ask yourself, if I get involved in this activity, if I give my time and my money and my resources to this, or I get involved in this relationship with this individual, this group of people, I mean, is this going to be profitable? For my spiritual development? Is this going to draw me closer to Jesus? Is this going to hasten my progress in my race as I move towards the finish line? Or do I need to acknowledge in reality, in light of who I am, my vulnerabilities and weakness? This is just going to become a roadblock, impending my progress. This is just going to slow me up. This is just going to entangle me. Matter of fact, it could potentially so distract me it would take me off the course itself and I could end up like the Israelites did uh, laid low again on the side of the track not able to cross the finish line look at the third question the third question will becoming involved in this activity or relationship so occupy my heart and time that I lose my ambition to to win the race for Christ Will becoming involved in this activity or relationship so occupy my heart and time that I lose my ambition to win the race for Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, the Apostle Paul wrote, All things are lawful for me, but all things, again, are not profitable, what we just saw in 1 Corinthians 10. But then he goes on, All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, he says, there are a lot of things that, again, are good, they're proper, they're legitimate, but I can't even be mastered by those things because I only have one master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Simply put, simply put, a Christian should not be controlled by anything but Jesus. And even, listen, beloved, even if an innocent, legitimate, or proper thing becomes my master, it is no longer, at that point, innocent legitimate or proper I mean this could be involvement in some hobby and sports it could be TV it could be a million one different things the point is if any activity or relationship begins to monopolize my time to the point that it destroys or replaces my appetite for the things of God it's time for me to limit my liberty So that nothing challenges God as the master passion in my life. Look at the fourth question to ask. Which is an important one. Will becoming involved in this activity or relationship become a stumbling block for other runners in their race for Christ? Will becoming involved in this activity or relationship become a stumbling block for other runners in their race for Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 10 again. Look at the latter part of verse 23 and then verse 24. He says, all things are lawful, but all things don't necessarily edify. That word edify means to build up others. And then verse 24, let no one, let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. I think of Philippians 2, do nothing, do nothing, absolutely nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. That's a desire to promote self, to get yourself up on a pedestal and be exalted, to receive the applause of others. He says don't do anything from selfishness, don't do anything to exalt self, but instead with humility, with holiness of mind, you're to regard others. More important than yourself. Don't look to your interests. Look to the interests of others. Let that attitude which was in Christ be in you. Who although existed equal with God. He didn't consider that a thing to selfishly grasp. But he, what, he emptied himself. Taking upon himself the form of a bondservant. A bondservant. See, it's very important that I go beyond asking. Is this activity or relationship okay for me? Till will involvement in this activity will it benefit or hurt others. I have to be considerate of my Christian brothers and sisters. What is lawful becomes unlawful when it hinders the growth of a fellow believer. All our decisions must be evaluated on their effect on others. See, because we're not competing with one another. We're running this race together. Good example. I did love Vacation Bible School. I don't know if, the, if uh, Jake and Erica are here. Are y'all here? Kids, I, saw, I know I saw Jake earlier. They may be downstairs. Uh, but uh, Erica was, was running the, uh, uh, the playtime uh, or game time in, in the gym. And, uh, and, and one day she developed this incredible obstacle course for the children that they would run through. And that's sort of the picture. See, we're, we're, we're all running the race, and we all need to cheer one another on. And it was fun watching those children as, one by one, they would take off to see if they could get through that obstacle course. I mean, they had to go through a tunnel, and then they had to go under a parachute, and they had to jump on a bunch of boxes, and then at the very end, they had to confront a lion. And all the other children were, 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 they, what? They were cheering their little comrade on to be able to make it through the obstacle course, and, and, and to finish is to win. And that's what we want to do for one another. We want to cheer one another on. Uh, And we don't want to do anything to put a stumbling block in the face of others. The the attitude we need to have, this is an illustration I've I've used at other times, but it it, it fits beautifully right here because it does express the attitude that we should have as we run this race toward one another. And this is the Special Olympics uh, that took place in the state of Washington. And it was the 100-yard dash final. And there were eight children that were in this final that had qualified. And all of y'all know, our little Carissa has participated for years in uh, Special Olympics. She's a swimmer. So she's participated on the, on the state and national level. And we're very proud of her. She's won numerous gold medals. And, and the thing I want you to know, the, you know these children... Uh, I mean, they're, they're invested in this. And, uh, and many of them take this very seriously. They train on a regular basis. I mean, they want to win that gold medal. I mean, there there is those competitive juices that will flow. And in this particular race, the gun went off, and all eight of those children popped out of those starting blocks. But one of the children didn't get but a few feet, and he began to stumble, and he fell. And it was a cinder track, And when he fell, he just cut himself all up. His little knees, his elbows, even his face, and he began to weep. Well, all 70 other children, they were blasting down the track. I mean, they were looking at that finish line. They wanted to win that race and get the gold medal. But the amazing thing that was witnessed on that day is as they got going down the track, they could hear the cries of their little friend behind them. And I would have loved to have been able to see this. They said simultaneously, it's like all 70 other racers, they just stopped in their tracks. And then they turned around and they went back to their little fallen friend. And they got all around him and then one of the competitors, a little Downs girl, she went up to him, gave him a big old hug and kiss, and said, there it's okay. And then all eight of those children they joined hands together and they ran down the track all eight going across the finish line at the same time. All eight winning the gold medal. And of course you can imagine uh, I believe this was uh, held at the stadium University of Washington and to a standing ovation. And with just tears flowing down everyone's face at the sight of this cooperative, loving spirit. And that's the, the way we're to run. It's not a competitive race. We're in it together. And we're to aid one another in this race. And then look at the fifth question. The fifth question. Will becoming involved in this activity or relationship put Christ on display for others to see Him as I run my race for Christ? Will becoming involved in this activity or relationship, will it put Christ on display? Because that's the purpose of my life. For others to see him as I run my race for Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. He says, whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do do all to the glory of God. And that phrase, glory of God, always refers to a visible manifestation of God's presence. And he says, I don't care whether you eat, I don't care whether you drink, whatever you do, you do it in such a way that you would never cast a shadow of doubt on your testimony or bring reproach to Christ, but you would have an opportunity to make Him known, to put Him on display to others. So I, I share these five questions. These 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 questions have been very meaningful in my life. Uh, This is something that I have practiced for years and years, not always perfectly. Uh, I have faltered, I have failed, uh, but I cannot tell you how meaningful these five questions have been for me for many, many years in my Christian life, and I share them with you because they have aided me in running my race with Endurance. And maintaining my focus on Jesus, not getting distracted. Maintaining my passion and ambition where my primary goal is to win for Christ. Well, that's probably a good place to end right there. And uh, next week we'll uh, pick up uh, with the uh, next two bits of uh, keys or uh, counsel advice that will enable us to run the race and to win. Bow with me in prayer. Father. Thank you for your truth. Uh, Thank you for the practicality of the Word of God. Uh, Lord, thank you that uh, you loved us, that you came and ran your race for us to redeem us. And at the end of your race, you were able to say, it is finished. The work that you came to do, the work that your Father ordained for you to do, And Lord, that is what I pray for us as well here this morning, that we will run in such a way that we too would win, that we would cross our finish line, that we would be able to say, as the Apostle Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have ran my race. And now there's laid up for me that crown of righteousness as I cross that finish line a winner And Lord, we acknowledge we can only do this by your grace, as we're going to see next week. It's not so much uh, through our efforts, although we must reciprocate to your uh, word and uh, to your encouragement, but Lord, it's through the grace, it's through the mercy, it's through the strength of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, So Lord, give us grace. Give us grace uh, to run in a manner that would please you. And Lord, for those that would have to acknowledge this morning that they've become distracted uh, from the race, uh, even those that possibly have become entangled in sin or have become weighted down by various encumbrances, uh, Lord, give them the grace as they turn to you in confession that they would be uh, untangled from that sin, to be set free, that they would come out from under those weights to be able to run with freedom and to run for Jesus, for which in his name we do pray. Amen.